Act Three of Candida. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Candida by George Bernard Shaw. Act Three. Late in the evening, past ten. The curtains are drawn and the lamps lighted. The typewriter is in its case. The large table has been cleared and tidied. Everything indicates that the day's work is done. Candida and Marchbanks are seated at the fire. The reading lamp is on the mantel-shelf above Marchbanks, who is sitting on the small chair reading aloud from a manuscript. A little pile of manuscripts and a couple of volumes of poetry are on the carpet beside him. Candida is in the easy-chair with the poker, a light brass one, upright in her hand. She is leaning back and looking at the point of it curiously, with her feet stretched towards the blaze and her heels resting on the fender, profoundly unconscious of her appearance and surroundings. Every poet that has ever lived has put that thought into a sonnet. He must, he can't help it. Haven't you been listening? Mrs. Morell? Eh? Haven't you been listening? Oh, yes, it's very nice. Go on, Eugene. I'm longing to hear what happens to the angel. I beg your pardon for boring you. But you are not boring me, I assure you. Please go on. Do, Eugene. I finished the poem about the angel a quarter of an hour ago. I've read you several things since. I'm so sorry, Eugene. I think the poker must have fascinated me. She puts it down. Made me horribly uneasy. Why didn't you tell me? I'd have put it down at once. I was afraid of making you uneasy, too. It looked as if it were a weapon. If I were a hero of old, I should have laid my drawn sword between us. If Morel had come in, he would have thought you had taken up the poker because there was no sword between us. What? I can't quite follow that. Those sonnets of yours have perfectly addled me. Why should there be a sword between us? Oh, never mind. He stoops to pick up the manuscript. Put that down again, Eugene. There are limits to my appetite for poetry. Even your poetry. You've been reading to me for more than two hours. Ever since James went out. I want to talk. Uh, no, I, I mustn't talk. I think I'll go out and take a walk in the park. Making for the door. Nonsense, it's shut long ago. Come and sit down on the hearth rug and talk moonshine as you usually do. I want to be amused. Don't you want to? Yes. Then come along. She moves her chair back a little to make room. He hesitates, then timidly stretches himself on the hearth rug, face upwards, and throws back his head across her knees, looking up at her. Oh, I've been so miserable all the evening because I was doing right. Now I'm doing wrong, and I'm happy. Yes, I'm sure you feel a great grown-up wicked deceiver. Quite proud of yourself, aren't you? Take care. I'm ever so much older than you, if only you knew. He turns quite over on his knees, with his hands clasped and his arms on her lap, and speaks with growing impulse, his blood beginning to stir. May I say some wicked things to you? No, but you must say anything you really and truly feel. Anything at all, no matter what it is. I am not afraid, so long as it is your real self that speaks and not a mere attitude. A gallant attitude, or a wicked attitude, or even a poetic attitude. I put you on your honour and truth. Now, say whatever you want to. Oh, now I can't say anything. All the words I know belong to some attitude or other. All except one. What one is that? Candida. Candida, 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 candida. I must say that now. 
because you have put me on my honor and truth. And I never think or feel Mrs. Morell. It is always Candida. Of course. And what have you to say to Candida? Nothing but to repeat your name a thousand times. Don't you feel that every time is a prayer to you? Doesn't it make you happy to be able to pray? Yes, very happy. Well, that happiness is the answer to your prayer. Do you want anything more? No. I have come into heaven, where want is unknown. Morel comes in. He halts on the threshold and takes in the scene at a glance. I hope I don't disturb you. Candida starts up violently, but without the smallest embarrassment, laughing at herself. Eugene, still kneeling, saves himself from falling by putting his hands on the seat of the chair, and remains there, staring open-mouthed at Morel. "'Oh, James, how you startled me! I was so taken up with Eugene that I didn't hear your latch-key. How did the meeting go off? Did you speak well?' "'I have never spoken better in my life.' "'That was first-rate. How much was the collection?' "'I forgot to ask.' He must have spoken splendidly, or he would never have forgotten that. Where are all the others? They left long before I could get away. I thought I should never escape. I believe they are having supper somewhere. Oh, in that case, Maria may go to bed. I'll tell her. She goes out to the kitchen. Well? Well? Have you anything to tell me? Only that I have been making a fool of myself here in private, whilst you have been making a fool of yourself in public. Hardly in the same way, I think. The very, very, very same way. I've been playing the good man, just like you. When you began your heroics about leaving me here with Candida... Candida? Oh, yes, I've got that far. Heroics are infectious. I caught the disease from you. I swore not to say a word in your absence that I would not have said a month ago in your presence. Did you keep your oath? I was an ass enough to keep it up until about ten minutes ago. Up to that moment I went on desperately reading to her reading my own poems, anybody's poems, to stave off a conversation. I was standing outside the gate of heaven and refusing to go in. Oh, you can't think how heroic it was, and how uncomfortable. Then— Then? Then she couldn't bear being read to any longer. And you approached the gate of heaven at last? Yes. Well, speak, man, have you no feeling for me? Then she became an angel and there was a flaming sword that turned every way so that I couldn't go in, for I saw that the gate was really the gate of hell. She repulsed you. No, you fool! If she had done that, I should never have seen that I was in heaven already. Repulsed me? You think that would have saved me? Virtuous indignation? Oh, you are not worthy to live in the same world with her! He turns away contemptuously to the other side of the room. Do you think you made yourself more worthy by reviling me, Eugene? Here endeth the first lesson. Morel, I don't think much of your preaching after all. I believe I could do it better myself. The man I want to meet is the man that Candida married. The man that... Do you mean me? I, I don't mean the Reverend James Maver Morel, moralist and windbag. I, I mean the real man that the Reverend James must have hidden somewhere inside his black coat. The man that Candida loved. You can't make a woman like Candida love you by merely buttoning your collar at the back instead of in front. When Candida promised to marry me, I was the same moralist and windbag that you now see. I wore my black coat, and my collar was buttoned behind instead of in front. Do you think she would have loved me any the better for being insincere in my profession? 
Oh, she forgave you, just as she forgives me for being a coward and a weakling and what you call a snivelling little whelp and all the rest of it. A, a woman like that has divine insight. She loves our souls and not our follies and vanities and illusions, or our collars and coats, or any other of the rags and tatters we are rolled up in. What I want to know is how you got past the flaming sword that stopped me. Perhaps because I was not interrupted at the end of ten minutes. What? Man can climb to the highest summits, but he cannot dwell there long. It's false. There can he dwell forever and there only. It's in the other moments that he can find no rest, no sense of the silent glory of life. Where would you have me spend my moments if not on the summits? In the scullery, slicing onions and filling lamps. Or in the pulpit, scrubbing cheap earthenware souls? Yes, that too. It was there that I earned my golden moment, and the right, in that moment, to ask her to love me. I did not take the moment on credit, nor did I use it to steal another man's happiness. I have no doubt you conducted the transaction as honestly as if you were buying a pound of cheese. I could only go to her as a beggar. A beggar dying of cold, asking for her shawl? <laughs> Thank you for touching up my poetry. Yes, if you like, a beggar dying of cold, asking for her shawl. And she refused. Shall I tell you why she refused? I can tell you, on her own authority, it was because of... She didn't refuse. Not? She offered me all I chose to ask for. Her shawl, her wings, the wreath of stars on her head, the lilies in her hand, the crescent moon beneath her feet. Out with the truth, man. My wife is my wife. I want no more of your poetic fripperies. I know well that if I have lost her love and you have gained it, no law will bind her. Catch me by this shirt, Colonel Morel. She will arrange it for me afterwards as she did this morning. I shall feel her hands touch me. You young imp! Do you know how dangerous it is to say that to me? Or has something made you brave? I'm not afraid now. I disliked you before. That was why I shrank from your touch. But I saw today, when she tortured you, that you love her. Since then I've been your friend. You may strangle me if you like. Eugene, if that is not a heartless lie, if you have a spark of human feeling left in you, will you tell me what has happened during my absence? What happened? Why, the flaming sword. Well, in plain prose, I loved her so exquisitely that I wanted nothing more than the happiness of being in such love. And before I had time to come down from the highest summits, you came in. So it is still unsettled, still the misery of doubt. Misery! I am the happiest of men. I desire nothing now but her happiness. Oh, Morel, let us both give her up. Why should she have to choose between a wretched little nervous disease like me and a pig-headed parson like you? Let us go on a pilgrimage, you to the east and I to the west, in search of a worthy lover for her. Some beautiful archangel with purple wings. Some fiddlestick. Oh, if she is mad enough to leave me for you, who will protect her? Who will help her? Who will work for her? Who will be a father to her children? He sits down distractedly on the sofa, with his elbows on his knees and his head propped on his clenched fists. She does not ask those silly questions. It is she who wants somebody to protect, to help, to work for 
somebody to give her children to protect to help and to work for some grown-up man who has become as a little child again oh you fool you fool you triple fool i am the man morel i am the man you don't understand what a woman is send for her morel send for her and let her choose between the door opens and candida enters he stops as if petrified what on earth are you at eugene uh, james and i are having a preaching match and he is getting the worst of it candida looks quickly round at morel seeing that he is distressed she hurries down to him greatly vexed speaking with vigorous reproach to marchbanks you have been annoying him now i won't have it eugene do you hear my boy shall not be worried i will protect him protect what have you been saying nothing eugene nothing i mean I'm very sorry i won't do it again indeed i won't i'll let him alone let me alone you young Shh, no let me deal with him james oh you're not angry with me are you yes i am very angry i have a great mind to pack you out of the house gently candida gently i am able to take care of myself yes dear of course you are but you mustn't be annoyed and made miserable i'll go oh you needn't go i can't turn you out at this time of night shame on you for shame but what have i done i know what you've done as well as if i had been here all the time oh it was unworthy you are like a child you cannot hold your tongue i would die ten times over sooner than give you a moment's pain much good your dying would do me candida my dear this altercation is hardly quite seemingly it is a matter between two men and i am the right person to settle it two men do you call that a man you bad boy if i am to be scolded like this i must make a boy's excuse he began it and he's bigger than i am that can't be true you didn't begin it james did you no oh you began it this morning but your other point is true i am certainly the bigger of the two and i hope the stronger candida so you had better leave the matter in my hands yes dear but i don't understand about this morning you need not understand my dear but james i the street bell rings oh bother here they all come she goes out to let them in oh morel isn't it dreadful she's angry with us she hates me what shall i do eugene my head is spinning round i shall begin to laugh presently no no she'll think i've thrown you into hysterics don't laugh boisterous voices and laughter are heard approaching lexy mill his eyes sparkling and his bearing denoting unwonted elevation of spirit enters with burgess who is greasy and self-complacent but has all his wits about him miss garnet with her smartest hat and jacket on follows them but though her eyes are brighter than before she is evidently a prey to misgiving she places herself with her back to her typewriting table with one hand on it to rest herself passes the other across her forehead as if she were a little tired and giddy marchbanks relapses into shyness and edges away into the corner near the window where morel's books are morel i must congratulate you what a noble splendid inspired address you gave us you surpassed yourself so you did james it fair kept me awake to the last word didn't it miss garnet oh i wasn't minding you i was trying to make notes she takes out her notebook and looks at her stenography which nearly makes her cry 
Did I go too fast, Pross? <sighs> Much too fast. You know I can't do more than a hundred words a minute. She relieves her feelings by throwing her notebook angrily beside her machine, ready for use next morning. Oh, well, well, never mind, never mind, never mind. Have you all had supper? Mr. Burgess has been kind enough to give us a really splendid supper at the Belgrave. Don't mention it, Mr. Mill. You're hearty welcome to my little treat. We had champagne. I never tasted it before. I feel quite giddy. A champagne supper? That was very handsome. Was it my eloquence that produced all this extravagance? Your eloquence and Mr. Burgess's goodness of heart. And what a very fine fellow the chairman is, Morel. He came to supper with us. Oh, the chairman. Now I understand. Burgess, covering a lively satisfaction in his diplomatic cunning with a deprecatory cough, retires to the hearth. Lexy folds his arms and leans against the cellarette in a high-spirited attitude. Candida comes in with glasses, lemons, and a jug of hot water on a tray. Who will have some lemonade? You know our rules. Total abstinence. She puts the tray on the table and takes up the lemon squeezers, looking inquiringly round at them. No use, dear. They've all had champagne. Pross has broken her pledge. You don't mean to say you've been drinking champagne. Yes, I do. I'm only a beer teetotaler, not a champagne teetotaler. I don't like beer. Are there any letters for me to answer, Mr. Morell? No more tonight. Very well. Good night, everybody. Had I not better see you home, Miss Garnet? No, thank you. I shan't trust myself with anybody tonight. I wish I hadn't taken any of that stuff. She walks straight out. Stuff indeed. That girl dunno what champagne is. Pomery and Greeno at twelve and six a bottle. She took two glasses a most straight hoff. Go and look after her, Lexy. But if she should really be suppose she began to sing in the street, or anything of that sort. Just so, she may. That's why you'd better see her safely home. Do, Lexy, there's a good fellow. She shakes his hand and pushes him gently to the door. It's evidently my duty to go. I hope it may not be necessary. Good night, Mrs. Morell. Good night. He goes. Candida shuts the door. He was gushing with extra piety himself out of two sips. People can't drink like they used to. Well, James, it's time to lock up. Mr. Morchbanks, shall I have the pleasure of your company for a bit of the way home? Y yes, I'd better go. He hurries across to the door, but Candida places herself before it, barring his way. You sit down. You're not going yet. No, I, I, I didn't mean to. He comes back into the room and sits down abjectly on the sofa. Mr. Marchbanks will stay the night with us, Papa. Oh, well, I'll say good night. So long, James. He shakes hands with Morel and goes on to Eugene. Make em give you a night light by your bed, Mr. Morchbanks. It will comfort you if you wake up in the night with a touch of that complaint of yours. Good night. Thank you. I will. Good night, Mr. Burgess. They shake hands, and Burgess goes to the door. Stay here, dear. I'll put on Papa's coat for him. She goes out with Burgess. Morel, there's going to be a terrible scene, aren't you afraid? Not in the least. 
I never envied you your courage before. Stand by me, won't you? Each for himself, Eugene. She must choose between us now. He goes to the other side of the room as Candida returns. Eugene sits down again on the sofa like a guilty schoolboy on his best behaviour. Are you sorry? Yes, heartbroken. Well, then, you are forgiven. Now go off to bed like a good little boy. I want to talk to James about you. I can't do that, Morel. I must be here. I'll not go away. Tell her. Tell me what? I have nothing to tell her, except that she is my greatest treasure on earth, if she is really mine. Candida, offended by his yielding to his orator's instinct, and treating her as if she were the audience at the Guild of St. Matthew. I am sure Eugene can say no less, if that is all. Morel, she's laughing at us. There is nothing to laugh at. Are you laughing at us, Candida? Eugene is very quick-witted, James. I hope I am going to laugh, but I am not sure that I am not going to be very angry. She goes to the fireplace and stands there, leaning with her arms on the mantelpiece and her foot on the fender, whilst Eugene steals to Morel and plucks him by the sleeve. Stop, Morel! Don't let us say anything! Morel, pushing Eugene away without deigning to look at him. I hope you don't mean that as a threat, Candida. Take care, James. Eugene, I asked you to go. Are you going? He shall not go. I wish him to remain. I'll go. I'll do whatever you want. He turns to the door. Stop. He obeys. Didn't you hear James say he wished you to stay? James is master here, don't you know that? By what right is he master? Tell him, James. My dear, I don't know of any right that makes me master. I assert no such right. You don't know? Oh, James, James. I wonder, do you understand, Eugene? No, you're too young. Well, I give you leave to stay, to stay and learn. She comes away from the hearth and places herself between them. Now, James, what's the matter? Come, tell me. Don't! Come, out with it. I meant to prepare your mind carefully, Candida, so as to prevent misunderstanding. Yes, dear, I am sure you did. But never mind. I shan't misunderstand. Well, uh... Well? Eugene declares that you are in love with him. No, 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 never! I did not, Mrs. Morell. It's not true. I said I loved you and that he didn't. I said that I understood you and that he couldn't. And it was not after what passed there before the fire that I spoke. It was not on my word. It was this morning. This morning? Yes. That was what the matter was with my collar. His collar? Oh, James, did you? You know, Candida, that I have a temper to struggle with. And he said that you despised me in your heart. Did you say that? No. Then James has just told me a falsehood. Is that what you mean? No, 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 I, I, it was David's wife, and it wasn't at home, it was when she saw him dancing before all the people. Dancing before all the people, Candida, and thinking that he was moving their hearts by his mission, when they were only suffering from Prossy's complaint. Don't try to look indignant, Candida. Try. Eugene was right. As you told me a few hours after, he is always right. He said nothing that you did not say far better yourself. He is the poet who sees everything, and I am the poor parson who understands nothing. Do you mind what is said by a foolish boy because I said something like it again in jest? That foolish boy can speak with the inspiration of a child and the cunning of a serpent. 
he has claimed that you belong to him and not to me, and, rightly or wrongly, I have come to fear that it may be true. I will not go about tortured with doubts and suspicions. I will not live with you and keep a secret from you. I will not suffer the intolerable degradation of jealousy. We have agreed, he and I, that you shall choose between us now. I await your decision. Oh, I am to choose, am I? I suppose it is quite settled that I must belong to one or the other. Quite. You must choose, definitely. Well, you, you don't understand. She means that she belongs to herself. I mean that, and a good deal more, Master Eugene, as you will both find out presently. And pray, my lords and masters, what have you to offer for my choice? I am up for auction, it seems. What do you bid, James? Canned. I can't speak. Candida impulsively going to him. Ah, dearest. Stop! It's not fair! You mustn't show her that you suffer more. I'm on the rack, too, but I'm not crying. Yes, you are right. It is not for pity that I am bidding. He disengages himself from Candida. I beg your pardon, James. I did not mean to touch you. I am waiting to hear your bid. I have nothing to offer you but my strength for your defence, my honesty of purpose for your surety, my ability and industry for your livelihood, and my authority and position for your dignity. That is all it becomes a man to offer to a woman. And you, Eugene? What do you offer? My weakness, my desolation, my heart's need! That's a good bid, Eugene. Now I know how to make my choice. She pauses and looks curiously from one to the other, as if weighing them. Morel, whose lofty confidence has changed into heartbreaking dread at Eugene's bid, loses all power of concealing his anxiety. Eugene, strung to the highest tension, does not move a muscle. Candida! Coward! I give myself to the weaker of the two. Eugene divines her meaning at once. His face whitens like steel in a furnace that cannot melt it. I accept your sentence, Candida. Do you understand, Eugene? Oh, I feel I'm lost. He cannot bear the burden. Do you mean me, Candida? Let us sit and talk comfortably over it like three friends. Sit down, dear. Morel takes the chair from the fireside, the children's chair. Bring me that chair, Eugene. She indicates the easy chair. He fetches it silently, even with something like cold strength, and places it next Morel, a little behind him. She sits down. He goes to the sofa and sits there, still silent and inscrutable. When they are all settled, she begins, throwing a spell of quietness on them by her calm, sane, tender tone. You remember what you told me about yourself, Eugene? How nobody has cared for you since your old nurse died? How those clever, fashionable sisters and successful brothers of yours were your mother's and father's pets? How miserable you were at Eton? how your father is trying to starve you into returning to Oxford, how you have had to live without comfort or welcome or refuge, always lonely and nearly always disliked and misunderstood, poor boy. I had my books, and I had nature, and at last I met you. Never mind that just at present. Now I want you to look at this other boy here, my boy, spoiled from his cradle. We go once a fortnight to see his parents. You should come with us, Eugene and see the pictures of the hero of that household. James is a baby, the most wonderful of all babies. James holding his first school prize won at the ripe age of eight. James is the captain of his eleven. James in his first frock coat. 
James under all sorts of glorious circumstances. You know how strong he is. I hope he didn't hurt you. How clever he is, how happy. Ask James's mother and his three sisters what it cost to save James the trouble of doing anything but be strong and clever and happy. Ask me what it cost to be James's mother and three sisters and wife and mother to his children all in one. Ask Prossy and Maria how troublesome the house is, even when we have no visitors to help us to slice the onions. Ask the tradesmen who want to worry James and spoil his beautiful sermons who it is that puts them off. When there is money to give, he gives it. When there is money to refuse, I refuse it. I build a castle of comfort and indulgence and love for him, and stand sentinel always to keep little vulgar cares out. I make him master here, though he does not know it, and could not tell you a moment ago how it came to be so. And when he thought I might go away with you, his only anxiety was what should become of me. And to tempt me to stay he offered me, his strength for my defence, his industry for my livelihood, his position for my dignity, his— Ah, I am mixing up your beautiful sentences and spoiling them, am I not, darling? She lays her cheek fondly against his. Morel, quite overcome, kneeling beside her chair and embracing her with boyish ingenuousness. It's all true, every word. What I am you have made me with the labour of your hands and the love of your heart. You are my wife, my mother, my sisters. You are the sum of all loving care to me. Am I your mother and sisters to you, Eugene? Ah, never! Out then into the night with me! You are not going like that, Eugene. I know the hour when it strikes. I am impatient to do what must be done. Candida, don't let him do anything rash. Oh, there is no fear. He has learnt to live without happiness. I no longer desire happiness. Life is nobler than that. Parson James, I give you my happiness with both hands. I love you because you have filled the heart of the woman I loved. Good-bye. He goes towards the door. One last word. How old are you, Eugene? As old as the world now. This morning I was eighteen. Candida, going to him and standing behind him with one hand caressingly on his shoulder. Eighteen. Will you, for my sake, make a little poem out of the two sentences I am going to say to you? And will you promise to repeat it to yourself whenever you think of me? Say the sentences. When I am thirty, she will be forty-five. When I am sixty, she will be seventy-five. In a hundred years we shall be the same age. But I have a better secret than that in my heart. Let me go now. The night outside grows impatient. Goodbye. She takes his face in her hands, and as he divines her intention and bends his knee, she kisses his forehead. Then he flies out into the night. She turns to Morel, holding out her arms to him. Ah, James. They embrace. But they do not know the secret in the poet's heart. End of Act Three End of Candida by George Bernard Shaw